We're in chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. Last week as we talked about the church in Thyatira, we saw how the church had been corrupted. Satan knew at one point he could not beat the church. He had persecuted the church and the church flourished. So the next step was to join the church and to pervert it from within. And that's exactly what he did. And the people were listening to false doctrines, to false teachings, and they didn't understand the depths of Satan and how deceptive he is. How often he comes as an angel of light to try to appear as something actually good and beautiful, but actually the core of it is very, very wicked. And that's why we need to know the Word of God. God's holding every one of you individually responsible to know the truth. Well, my parents told me, well, this church I went to told me, it won't stand before God. He's called every one of us to be ministers, ministers unto Him, and to bear that one yoke of knowing Him and His Word. And so we all have that command to study, to show ourselves some workmen unto God, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And it doesn't take much. Actually, if you read... Ten chapters of the Bible a day. You'd read the Bible in less than three months. And of course, that would take you, the first time you read through it, maybe a half an hour, an hour to read that much. The time you've read through the Bible four or five times, believe me, you can read ten chapters of the Bible uh, in no time at all because it's familiar uh, information. But again, even if you didn't read that much, if you just read... Uh, a chapter and a little bit more on some other days you read the entire Bible in one year. And so again, you need to know the truth because that truth is what's going to set you free daily from the lies of the devil, from the bondage, the wickedness, the sin of your own body as well as that which we live in in the world. And he says that as we overcome in verse 26 of chapter 2, he said that uh, if we keep his works until the end that he would give us power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the potter's vessel shall be broken in pieces, as I also have received from my Father. And I give him the morning star. He has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So just to give you the near future, Christ is coming again. If I'm certain of a handful of things, one of them is, is most of you here will not die of old age you will be raptured up with the church. The signs of the time are too clear. They're too evident. They're too showing. You look at the main events in the world and their fulfillment of scriptures. Christ is coming back. The day of the hour, we don't know. But the season's very clear. It's upon us. If nothing else, Israel becoming a nation in May 14th, 1948 was a clear indicator. And if you just think logically how a country who had been non-existent for 2,000 years almost, not having been in the land in which we were promised by God, other people inhabiting that land, and then to picture them coming back into the land, and not only that, making a country out of it. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. And then for 2,000 years, keeping your national identity... I mean, you ask me, 
you know, people sometimes say, well, what are you? It's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I got some German in me. Uh, I've got quite a bit of Indian in me. I, interesting enough, my last name's Newberry, which is English, but my grandfather, Newberry, only spoke German. So somewhere, I don't maybe the it was illegal to have a German name during World War I, World War II. Maybe they changed their name. Maybe it was some German name or something. I don't know what the heck I am. And that's only been a few years. But 2,000 years of keeping national identity being spread literally in every country of the world? Absolutely incredible. Christ is coming again. The church is going to be raptured. There will be seven years of tribulation period upon the earth to those who have not received Christ. And then Christ is going to come back and we're going to come with Him in that second coming of Christ. It says He's coming back. He's going to be upon a horse and so are we, the ten thousands of His saints. We're going to all be riding stallions coming down. And it's going to be a radical time. And at that time, for a thousand years, God's going to reestablish the earth. And those who had survived through the tribulation period is going to repopulate the earth again. During that thousand-year reign, we are going to rule and reign with them, as it were, with the rod of iron. Righteousness is going to be demanded. And everyone will live righteously, and if they don't, it will be extreme punishment. And we're going to rule and reign with them. No elections. We're just in place of political office under Christ, who's the ruler of the world for that thousand years. And we come tonight in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, Sardis was the capital of the kingdom of Lydia, one of the most important cities of Asia Minor at the time. Today its ruins basically are been shattered. An earthquake literally split the city and crushed almost everything in it. Today there's a few shrines left. There's a one to Apollo and another one to uh, Sibley, or known also in the inner parts of Diana, which set up the temple in Ephesus. There's not a whole lot there left. But there is the great cliff that covered the city, and it was very difficult to get to the city. There's only one way in. And they stood in very much security. And this city uh, had a church there, and he says these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God which are the angels, God's presence in the church, and the seven stars, which are the churches. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect or complete before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father, and before his angels, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now again, when we look at these things, it's, it's a very negative thing that Christ is saying. As a matter of fact, about this church, he has nothing good to say about it. We see some other churches that were 
caught up in extreme weird uh, teachings and uh, spiritual uh, fornication and idolatry. And there are some radical things going on. And he still has something good to say about that church. But this church he has nothing good to say about. He says there's just a remnant there. You know enough to repent and turn to me and do it. They had a name. The Christian banner was over their door. But there was no life of Christ in the church. And again, Christ isn't saying this to pound people. Unfortunately, in our day and age, there's the cuts and the slams. And you can tear somebody apart in a matter of five minutes very expertly. I know as a teenager, I knew every cut in the book, you know. You're so ugly, your mother slapped you, or the doctor slapped your mother when you were a baby, you know. And you were so ugly, they had to tie a steak around your neck just to get the dog to play with you. And, you know, all these kind of horrible things. And so people, they just, oh, they just know how to rip each other. Look in your rearview mirror and could have swore nobody is there and you put your signal on, you turned over and practically ran somebody off the road. And boy, they're not going to leave you alone until they let you know what they think of you. You made one mistake like they've never done it. And boy, they just want you to know you're the biggest idiot that's ever walked the face of the earth and you shouldn't have a driver's license and uh, you're just a total moron. And boy, they just, they just want to slam you. God's not this way. God's not trying to slam the church. He's not trying to put the church down. The Bible says the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, and it pierces the heart. God wants to pierce you. And there's some of you here tonight, even as I read the Scriptures, your heart jumped within you. The Spirit of God tapped at the door of your heart, saying, hey, Wake up, man. You're claiming to be a Christian, and you know you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. You'd like to believe that, but you know you don't. There's no life of Christ in you. Wake up. I'm saying this to you because I want the life of Christ in you. I'm not saying this to slam you. I'm not saying it to put you down. I'm not saying it to try to make fun of you. I'm saying it that you'll repent and turn to Christ and really have a true life. How often Jesus turned to the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and says, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs on the outside and inside you're full of dead men's bones. There's no life in you. You quench people out. When they're trying to come to God, you put all this religion on them. And basically what you have is you have a form in your life of some type of Christianity. But you know when you're alone, when you're by yourself, when you, trial comes and you have a chance when the pressure's on to really reveal what's in your heart, you know it's not praises to God. You know it's not a trust in God. You know it's not walking with God that you desire at that time. As a matter of fact, you curse God. You get upset with God. You scream at everybody around you. When you're alone by yourself, you don't say, all right, I've got a moment to get on my knees and to pray. Man, I finally got a moment together just to listen to some Christian music and read my Bible. I'm alone now. 
And there you think of all the vices and all the lust and all the sins. And I better get my fulfillment in before somebody comes home or before I don't have this quiet time anymore. Wake up. You're saying you have life and you know you don't. Christ is saying this to woo you to himself, saying, come, repent. Let's have a time of salvation truly in your life. David was going through a very difficult time in his own life, having to really come to grips where he was with God in Psalms 51. And if you'll turn there with me. Psalms is right back in the middle of the Bible. If you're a new Christian, just open up your Bible and let it fall to the middle, and you'll probably fall right to a Psalms. Then turn to chapter 51. If you have a study Bible, it's a whole bunch of other stuff in the back, and I don't know if that'll work. You'll end up uh, probably in Matthew or something. Psalms 51. I want to read the whole thing. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. Behold, and verse 6 is the key verse here, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. you got to be honest before God. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take me, take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from your blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praises. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't want some religious form. You do not delight in burnt offerings. You don't want my religious duties. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And I'll end there. God is opening up your heart tonight if you're in this condition. And it's not more religious form. It's not going to church more. It's not using the Christian lingo more. It's having a real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ where you become naked before God and say, God, look at me. You know me. I've been a sinner since I was born from my mother's womb. God, you don't want a bunch of religious sacrifice. You want honesty in my inmost parts. And God, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. Lord, forgive me and help me. Do you know God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven? 
God wants to come into your life more than you want Him to come into your life. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life more than you want eternal life. God is so for you tonight, you have no idea how much He desires you to repent and come to Him. But He's given you a complete free will to receive Him or to reject Him. The ball is in your court. You have to make that decision. You have to humble yourself. You have to be bold and stand up and say, Christ, come into my life. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what my spouse thinks or my family thinks or what my friends think. All I care is what you think. And Lord, I want to be right with you completely. In my innermost parts, honestly, Lord, I commit my life to you here tonight. 80% of America, actually the last statistic I heard was 84% of America claims to be a Christian. But there's no life. Jesus tells a parable about what it's going to be like in the end times. In the Jewish days, the way they would have a wedding feast and the way Christ sees us when He comes and raptures the church, we are then married to Christ. We're, we are, have this big banqueting feast in heaven with the Lord. And in the Jewish days, what they would do is the man would come and go to the father and they would set up a dowry and he would get permission to marry his daughter. And then the man would go to the woman and say, Hey, don't let your heart be troubled, man. It happened. Your dad said yes. I go away now to prepare a place for you. And the man would go back to his father's house. And there he would build a room. And he would build a place which would be their honeymoon cottage. And there they would live for a time. And of course the friends would come and tell her, Hey, just noticed that uh, you finished the outside stucco today. And I noticed that the roof is almost completely finished. It's going to be any time now. And so when the signs of the time were showing, she would go and get her unmarried friends. And she would actually then get in her wedding garment and sleep in it and live in it because she had no idea when he would come back. It could be the daytime. It could be nighttime. And her friends would they just, they would just have a continual slumber party. She would stay in her wedding dress and they would all be there in their wedding garments and they just had a good time together. And then when it came nighttime, they would all have lamps. And of course, they would turn the lamp way down so they wouldn't burn up too much oil, but each night they would put the oil in it and be ready. And then when it was ready, he would go to the Father and the Father would inspect it. And then he would get his friends together and they'd all get trumpets and all kinds of different instruments. And they'd start blowing the trumpets and banging and going through the town. And of course, they would hear the trumpet. But the time they heard the noise, Boom, he was there, crashing through the door. Grab up his wife, snatch her away as a thief in the night. 
And there the virgins, they'd have to jump up and they would have to, you know, uh, turn their lamps up so they could see and they would start to, to follow. Five of the virgins, Jesus says, that were there, they didn't really take any concern about the coming. And so through the days of waiting, they just allowed the oil to empty out of their lamps. And surprise, they're there, boom, the bride's been scooped up. And the virgins turn to the other five of the virgins turn to the other five virgins and say, hey, can you give us some of your oil? We're out. And they said, hey, you know, we've been burning here all night. It's almost down. We don't really have enough for you and for us both. Sorry. And off they go to catch up with the wedding party because once you got to the party, only the best friends would be there in the party for those days. The, guy, the people the guys had invited and the girls had invited and the father would shut the, the gate to the uh, estate and nobody else could come in. Now a lot of people like to feel they're close to certain people, but it was just sort of the wedding party. And so they would be there dancing and celebrating and the husband and the new wife would go in to their wedding uh, room that had been prepared. And there they would stay and consummate the wedding or consummate the marriage and just have a good time. And after a while, the guy would stick his head out the window or stick his head out the door and say, "Hey guys, you know, we're married." And they'd party a while, and then after a while, they would come out, and then they would have the actual wedding ceremony, and then the door would be open. Those five virgins who they finally went and got some oil on their lamps and they finally made it to the gate, they knocked and they said, hey, let us in. We're ready to feast. We're ready to be a part. We were a part of the, the, the wedding party. You know, We just didn't have enough oil. And the father says, go away. Man, they'd been partying in there for a few hours. And I, I know that if you were truly a part of the wedding party, you already would have been here. And Jesus turns and says to the people listening, you watch and you be ready. We find in the book of James that he says, God brings trials into our life and those trials produce a perseverance. As it tests our faith, it brings us perseverance in our life and that perseverance brings a character into our life till we're complete and lacking in nothing. It is the Christian life. In this world, you have many tribulations. It's what changes us into the character of Christ. Now, if you don't have faith and you don't trust in Christ, as James says, let that work, let that trial have its perfect work, you don't let the trial have its perfect work because you don't trust Christ. You don't believe He has control. You don't believe He has the reins of your life. And therefore you murmur and you complain and you start working things out on your own and you manipulate things yourself and you are the Lord of your life. And when these end times that we live in, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? And there are a lot of people, and we find in Thessalonians, that there's going to be a great falling away in the church. There's people who say they have life and they don't. And the persecution is going to come. The hardship of the end days are come. We find in Timothy, in First and Second Timothy, that there's an unleash of demons in the last days, seducing people, deceiving people. First John, he says, they went out from us because they were never really of us. They went out from us that it might become evident they were never really of us. 
Jesus, in talking about the church, says it's like a mustard seed plant. A mustard seed plant's just a little bush. But he says this plant grows into a great tree. What in the world? A little spice plant becoming this tree? And he says Satan. The birds come and nest in it, representing Satan coming and living in the church. Those who are truly born-again believers here tonight is a small bushel compared to what's represented here in the midst of all of you. There is no doubt in my mind there's a group of you here tonight and unfortunately if Christ were here he would say it's the larger group not the smaller group because it's the wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many are those who are on that that road. Narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who find it. That there is a larger percentage of you than I'd like to believe because I love all of you who have a form of godliness who have a form of life, but you know in your heart Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your tomorrow morning. And at 10 o'clock tomorrow, Christ is not in your thoughts. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're thinking of how to fulfill the pleasures and the desires of your life, not how can I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Your life is not consumed with a passion after Christ. It's consumed with the passion of the cares and the desires of this life. Jesus says that you could categorize God's Word affecting people in one of four ways. He says sometimes the Word of God falls like a seed on a rocky ground, and immediately Satan comes and takes it out. I was just talking to a man this week. In our church here, over a year he was here, and never came to Christ. Had no intentions of coming to Christ. Came to church because his girlfriend came to church. She wanted him to come to church, so he came to church. Sunday after Sunday, heard the message, went out, didn't affect him at all. About a few months ago, uh, the seed finally fell upon good ground, and, and he did receive the Lord. But I was just amazed. I mean, Christ could have came back three months ago. He could have died in a car wreck three months ago. A number of things could have happened. But if Christ had come back three months earlier, he would be in a tribulation period. It just blows my mind when I think of that. And so a lot of you tonight, even now, are saying, I hope Brian ends here quick. My favorite show is going to be on at 8.30. And if I snub everybody, I can get out and I can get it on. And boy, I just... There's others of you that your main thing was, well, I'm going to go to church tonight, but I've got to make sure I videotape my good program. Don't want to miss it. And the seed is falling and Satan's still in it. He's already, Satan's been preparing you all day to harden your heart, to numb you out, to get you tired, to get you in a position that nothing that's said tonight would affect you. And then there's other people that seed falls upon a very thin soil. There's no root in that soil. And so, oh boy, I'm just as committed as you can be. Right. As soon as the trials comes, or it says, because of the word's sake. When your life doesn't add up with God's word, you either want to water God's word down, or just, I don't like that passage of scripture. You have no intention of changing. You have no intention of screeching to halt your own will, your own wants, and your own desires to then take and go the other road, the narrow road that leads to life, to take on God's will, His wants, and His desires. 
You're saying I'm a Christian, but yet you're living in your own will, your own wants, your own desires. You have a form of godliness, but inside is consumed with lifestyle the way you want it. You're the Lord of your own life. You're the master of your own destiny. You're the captain at the cell in your life. And you know it. There's no root there. Because you would not allow trials to have its perfect work, you murmur and you complain and God takes the heat off, you've never changed. You've never become a Christian. And then there's the third. It says the seed falls amongst weeds. And it says the cares of life, the desire for other things, and the desires for riches choke out that word. And so you here tonight were in the church, but yet your master passion has always been other things, riches, a desire for fame or glory or money or whatever it is, I don't know. But Christ is the best thing you have right now until you get that thing you really, really want. There's no doubt in my mind that Satan will at least give you... uh, an opportunity to head in that direction of your real true passion and desire. But you've been choked out by your desire for other things, your desire and care for the things of this world rather than the things of God. Jesus says to love this world, you're an enemy of His. That's a pretty radical place to be. But yet you do love the world. You love the things in the world. You love its alcohol. You love its partying. You love its entertainment. Although it's vile in the ears of God to hear His name used in vain. It's no problem with you. It's just one of those little things that, you know, you just got to look past. Although you see the nudity and you hear the profanity, no problem. I can have Christ and the devil's entertainment hand in hand. Can you? Or is it the fact that Christ is not in you and so you don't sense the Spirit grieving? You don't sense God's Spirit saying, this is wrong. I have a narrow road that leads to life. I have a light for you to walk in, not the darkness of the world. I have entertainment to you, but it's not the kind of entertainment that this world has. As you walk in the Spirit, you love the things of God. When you walk in the flesh, you don't love the things of God. The Word of God can be the most entertaining book in the world. It has it all right there. All your little desires to read about relationships. Read about Samson and Delilah. There's your little soap opera desire you have. You have it for war and, and fighting. I think God's put that innately in every man to war. David cries out, train my hands for wars. Several battles talked about in the Bible. Some of you are scientists or you like biology. The Bible has it in there. Some of you are poets. Oh man, tons of poetry. You've got Psalms and Ecclesiastics and the Song of Solomon. It's in here, but yet it's not your passion. It's not your delight. You're not meditating day and night. Why? Because you have a form of godliness, but yet there's no power in it. And we find in Second Timothy, if you turn there to chapter 3, and maybe this describes you. Not every one of these will describe you, but maybe a good portion of this will. 
He says in chapter 3 there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If I were to put an epithet to name our country in one sentence, this would be it. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. There is one seed that falls upon the good ground. And it says from a true and a noble heart, they hear the word and do it. And some produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There's some Christians who have become obedient partially to God, enough to be saved. There's others who are living the life, and they're living it with some diligence. And then there's other people that have forsaken all to follow Christ with their whole heart, and they're bearing 100% fruit in their life. Turning back to Revelations chapter 3. He says there in verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. There's some of you here tonight who will not be in church here next year. There's some of you here tonight who have your Bible out on the coffee table, but next year it'll be in a drawer somewhere or on a shelf high above collecting dust. There are some of you who have still a somewhat of a tender heart towards God. He's not the Lord of your life. You are. But yet you have a little fear of Him. And so therefore you still come to church you still have your Bible out, although you really don't read it. And you still pray for your food, but it's sort of a quick thing to get out of the way because I'm hungry. There's no real communication with God. It's sort of a token sentence that you say. Yum, yum, thanks for the grub, although yay, man, let's eat. Something like that, I don't know. Or maybe it's more sincere than that. But next year, those things won't be there because they've been decreasing for months now and you know it every day you live is another step away from God not towards God and he's saying listen to what the word of God listen to what the spirit of God is saying to the church tonight God's trying to grab you he's reaching out to you he's trying to say come Christ has an abundant life for you he has a plan and a purpose for your life that you haven't been experiencing and he wants you to experience all of him Every promise of God is yea and amen to you. He wants to experience all of His love, all of His mercy, all of His forgiveness, all of His grace. He wants, there's things in your life that you don't even know are talents in your life that you haven't even experienced yet that God's going to use in your life if you come to Him and turn to Him. He has relationships. Maybe your marriage relationship, you're existing here tonight. God wants to give you an abundant relationship where you're in love with your spouse. Maybe you're single here tonight 
And God has a wonderful mate for you to marry. But yet, because you're not following, you're actually desiring other women or other men that really aren't God's choice for you, but are your choice for you. They look like your favorite actress or your actor. You like the way Suave and Deboner, I mean Debonair, or whatever it is. You like all of that, and that's because you're in the flesh and you like that kind of desire. That's the kind of person you're looking for instead of a godly person who could lead a godly home and raise godly children. Whatever's left of your conscience that you haven't seared, whatever inkling you can hear from God tonight, give a 100% effort to turn to Him with whatever you have left. Remember, he says in verse 3, Therefore how you received and heard, and hold fast, and notice this, repent. I love that word. Because it says that God will do it for you. If you'll simply confess your sin, repent tonight, Christ will take and do the rest of the work. He's faithful. He'll just forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and set you back on a straight path. Tomorrow morning can be the first day of experiencing abundant Christian life. You've always had this form of Christianity, but it's never been a joyful, it's never been a live, vibrant part of you. It's never been the, what makes you want to get up in the morning and makes you want to live. You get up in the morning to go to work and to do your thing. It's not, all right, it's morning, I'm going to get in the Word, I'm going to get into prayer. Lord, just thank you for being with me. It's not that live relationship. It can be tomorrow if you'll repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Right now, God's door is wide open to anyone who will come. If you will repent and come to Christ tonight, you can know Him. And if He were to come back tonight, you would be caught up together to be with Him. Because salvation is not something you work or earn or it's a lifestyle you live for a while and then you're accepted by God. It's a free gift. And God wants you to give you that free gift. But maybe the Word's fallen upon the hard ground. Or maybe you're the person that the Word's fallen upon the shallow ground and you've this up and down. You spurt up, oh, I'm going to do it right, and then... You die out. Oh, I'm going to live for God, and then you die out. It's never fallen upon a real committed heart of saying, Christ, be the Lord of my life. Not my way, your way. Not my will, your will. Not my desires, your desires, Lord. Your word, I hear it and I obey it. That's it. That's my life from now on. You've never come to that kind of commitment. Or maybe you've been the prideful type of person. You're rich, or you're talented, or you're good-looking. And you've always had a desire for other things. You've never been a broken, humble person before God. And therefore, you always receive Christ, but never are willing to get rid of the world at the same time. I can't get rid of this entertainment. It's the joy of my life. I can't get rid of this vice. It's the thing that brings me so much pleasure. And that pleasure is what gets me over my stressful times. You've got to come with a complete heart of repentance, Christ, I am turning from the sin and the world and the things that you don't want me to have in my life and I'm turning to you. Paul says, I count it all as dumb 
that I might gain Christ. And once you see Christ and you have a real genuine relationship with Him, believe me, you'll see that the world has to offer you nothing compared to what Christ has to offer you. There are a few names, he says there, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall, not, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Christ is so wonderful. The gift he's wanting to give to you is a gift he'll never take away. You know, last uh, week I saw there was a thing a while back on Geraldo, and it was the cults that people were ex-cult members and the things they did in the cults. And I listened to it, and I didn't recognize any of the cults. But the question was, how did they keep you in that cult for so long? Doing all the weird things, just bizarre teachings. Anybody with a half-normal mind would reject it. You know what they said to him? They said, they continually told you, if you leave our group, our group's the only group that's going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. They were always trying to dangle them. You're going to go to hell if you don't be a part of our group. Christ does not want that fear in your life. And tonight, if that fear is in your heart, it's probably there because it's a very genuine reason it's there. I'm hearing this message. I don't have a fear. I know that Christ is in my life. But if there's a fear in your heart tonight of... <gasps> Man, am I right with God? Am I really a genuine Christian? I don't read the Bible. I go to church and I really don't put my heart into it. I don't really care what God says and I don't really try to live by the light of His Word. I, I just sort of, you know, try to, you know, somebody said this and somebody said this and oh yeah, the Bible did say that and I just sort of haphazardly follow Christ in the best way I can. Let me tell you, there's a reason you're afraid. And there should be a good reason because there is a hell coming. Christ is coming as a thief in the night. He's going to take the church out of here. There's a tribulation period we're going to be seeing in Revelations. And after that, there's an eternal hell. And the Bible says the Spirit of God's in the world, the convictment of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It's God's Spirit that's telling you it's true. That after you die here, you continue to live for eternity, either in hell or in heaven, but you live on. And we find in 1 John, if you'll turn to the book right before the book of Revelations, there are actually a couple books before. In 1 John chapter 4, he says this in verse 17. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. God doesn't want you to fear the day of judgment. The opposite. He wants to give you a certainty now. If you'll turn to the page, one more page to Second Peter, to chapter 1 there, verse 5. He says there in verse 5, 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. First, Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 7, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly what uh, John's saying in Revelations. You have a form that you're alive, but you're not. You're dead. And, and Peter's saying here, if you're really alive, Christ is going to be changing you from glory to glory, from a love to a brotherly love to an agape love, from a moral character to more knowledge to a deeper Christian walk. It's just the natural Christian life. But in verse 9, he says there in Second Peter chapter 1, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you come to Christ with a good and a noble heart of commitment, saying, Christ, I'm a sinner. I am sick of the unhappy hours. I am sick of the entertainment of this world. I am sick of the lust and the desires and the pride of this life and the things this world has to offer. I don't want the world anymore. I want you and to follow you in a holy and a pure in a godly life where my whole heart is given to being a Christian. From the morning I wake up till the night I go to bed, as Paul says, in you I live and move and have my being. That I want to absorb my life in following Jesus Christ. Lord, that's what I'm asking now. Well, I'll guarantee you if you come to Christ like that, you will have a true conversion. Christ will truly come into your life and you won't have some dead form but you'll have a real Christian life. But you need to check yourself tonight to see if you be in Christ. And if you come to Christ, let me tell you, you never have to worry about your name being blotted out of the book of life. Evidently, uh, they were teaching that. And, and John says that's not the case. And back in Revelations now, chapter 3, he says, no way. When you become a true Christian, you have these trials, you rejoice in those trials, God changes your character, you have that perseverance, you have that power to overcome, God changes your character, you become that person that's a godly person, complete, lacking in nothing in character in time, maybe 80 years old and the day before you die it happens, but God's bringing you to that place. You are going to be clothed in a white robe of righteousness. It's not a question. If you come to Christ and in Him you live and move and have your being, He's the first in your life. Jesus says that you have to hate father and mother and brother and sister and children and wife, yea, even your own life, compared to your love for me. Christ can't be loved a little bit more than the next person. There has to be light years in, apart from your love and your commitment to serving Christ compared to the next love in your life, whatever that is. I hope it's your spouse and your kids, your family, but whatever that second love is, it should not even be in a close comparison to your love and your commitment and your serving Christ. And if your second love is your own life, 
You need to hate your own life. Deny yourself. Lose your life in this world. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ and to love Him supremely above anything. And I'll tell you, you have the gift of eternal life. If your heart is truly committed and repented to Christ, let me tell you, you are going to be clothed in a white robe of righteousness. You don't ever have to worry about your name being blotted out of the book of life. And he also says there that he's going to confess us before his Father and before his angels. Friends, heaven is going to be the most awesome place. When we walk into that place, we're going to have a brand new body, no pain, no suffering, no fat cells. <laughs> No aging process. No diseases. And then, Jesus Christ, who you know now, I pray. I walk with Christ. I talk with Christ. When I see Him face to face, it's only going to be a physical meeting. We already know each other in spirit. His spirit lives within me. He knows me inside out better than I know myself but I also know Him through studying of His Word and through a relationship with Him. And I'll tell you what, He's going to say, Hey, everybody, here's my good friend. Here's my wife. Here's my sheep. Here's my child. They gave their life to me, and I walked with them while they were on earth. And now they've left their body on earth, and they're here in heaven with us. And he's going to be so proud of you. And I'll tell you right now, he's up there showing baby pictures of you right now if you've received him. Saying, hey, this is what's coming, guys. Get ready. And he already knows the day and the hour. He already knows the sands of your life are in his hands. Let's pray.